Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dishes and Dimes, the Raptors podcast. I'm Kelsey. I'm joined by Katie, the commissioner of the NBA Basketball Feelings Draft. And we also have a special guest, and that is sports psychologist Jeff Chamberlain. He's going to talk to us about what's going to happen with the restart of the season and some potential issues that the players could be facing, how they can deal with them, etc. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks a lot for having me on. I was a listener of Dishes and Dimes um, in the beginning, for sure. So it's, it's cool to be on the podcast now. Um, I haven't listened to many recent episodes, but I also haven't listened to an episode of The Low Post since, like, I guess basketball ended. So I'm, if I'm not listening to The Low Post, then, um, yeah, I'm not probably not listening to many other basketball podcasts either. I was going to say the correct answer for that would have been, I haven't listened to an episode of The Low Post since I started listening to Dishes and Dimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, did I not Did I not say that? That is what I, I do. And after uh, listening to some a big time podcast like Dishes and Dimes that we can give kind of the up and comers like Zach some love too, for sure. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> so we wanted to have you on because... I mean, what the NBA is navigating right now is completely unprecedented territory. You know, they've never had to restart a season in a bubble, quote unquote, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a social justice movement. And we just want to kind of understand or talk about what the players could potentially see or be feeling or how we can better understand what could be going on in their minds and which could translate into their bodies as well, I believe. For sure. And there's definitely a ton of things that, w- that would be going on with them. Uh, I know in the intro, you you mentioned I was a sports psychologist. I, I'm actually, my title is a mental performance consultant. Um, we're not actually allowed to have the word psychologist in our title because that would imply that we are like a psychologist. And I'm not, I don't have psychology training. What I have is like sports psychology training. So I can apply sports psych concepts to athletes so so they can use them so i'm not going to get into any kind of like um medical like medical diagnosis i'm not going to diagnose anybody with depression or anything but um there is obviously a number of things that they're going to be feeling obviously usually when they're competing they're able to go home and see see their kids see their family um after the game obviously not um if they're on the road but uh it's a new thing for them right like not being able to see their families for two months, that's that's like a whole added dynamic. And the fact that I think it would just be weird in general to th- like to to be isolated. Like it's like I, I can't imagine it's like a good feeling to be to be in a, a location that you're told like like you're not allowed to leave. So maybe that's a pressure um, in itself. Off the top of my head, one thing I'd like to touch on is something called um, sport entrapment. And sport entrapment basically happens when you you're pretty much in a situation where you have to keep playing your sport, even um, even if you don't want to. That's for tons of like extrinsic factors, maybe like scholarships or, or financial pressures or all, all those things. I saw someone make a good point on Twitter where it's very admirable, like what Kyrie and some of the other players are saying that like they don't want to return back to that kind of environment right now when there's kind of more important things going on than basketball and I don't disagree with what Kyrie said at all but Kyrie also has the luxury of being a total uh total superstar athlete where finances like he's going to be okay financially no matter no matter what the league decides to do but there's a lot of uh 
there's a lot of maybe fringe players or guys who are just like just cracking rosters that don't don't really have that luxury. They kind of need to play, and they like they could they could kind of be stuck. Like, what if what if you've got a guy who's in a situation where it's like, wow, I really agree with Kyrie, and I really don't want to kind of be putting my athletic talents on on display for everybody right now. But I mean, also, I, I need a paycheck. Like, and if I if I just choose to to sit out, like I don't really have that option. I know um, I know Kelsey mentioned on on Twitter that uh, that UFC fight last night that that Maurice Green. That post-fight interview was crazy. I've never seen a, a UFC post-fight interview like that, where the guy is pretty much reduced to tears because he's so happy he won. And it's like it sounded like if he didn't lose, if he didn't win the fight, like his like his family's like not going to be eating. So I mean, maybe NBA players don't have that like put food on the table kind of pressure. But like all I'm trying to say is that maybe their motivation for playing basketball right now is not fully intrinsic. Do you guys know, have you heard about the difference between intrinsic and extrinsic motivations? Yeah, and that is something I'd like to touch on. But first, I kind of wanted to put a pin in what you said, because I think this is something we've echoed a few times on this podcast, is just the decision-making process and how it can't be something that's the same across the board for every player, just given the nature of like their roles, not just within their teams, but within the league at large. Like You've got guys who can't necessarily afford to say no to the bubble. Um, you've got all the, also guys who are like maybe kind of mid-tier on teams where they're really looking to their leaders. They're looking to, you know, LeBron and some of these other superstars, uh, and they're not going to be the most comfortable opting out, you know? And we, we also saw, though, like, I don't know how seriously you're going to take someone like Evan Fournier generally, but you kind of saw this, like, blowback from other players, which is sort of like a bit like pure shaming sort of. And I mean, you think if like that came from someone with like a larger platform and like a larger influence within the league, how kind of damaging that would be for a young, like a younger player's career. So like, just to your point, there's obviously just like, you know, dozens and dozens of reasons at play as to why guys would choose or not choose to enter the bubble, but how many of them are kind of like, they don't really have like the full process of even like being able to make that decision so like their decision making is even a bit hindered by this the bubble which I don't know anyone who's like really all for it for that sense but just from like a psychological perspective how to even approach something like that if you're like well you know these are my options but I can't actually make a decision that's necessarily right for me because that option doesn't even really exist for me I actually think you kind of touched on self-determination theory right there I don't know if you guys are aware of self-determination theory. It's basically just that our motivations as humans and as athletes, too, they're uh, influenced by three main psychological needs. The first is the need for autonomy. So you need to feel like you're in control of what you're doing. Um, The second is competence. So you need to feel a sense of ability. And uh, the word is competence, but you need to feel confidence and ability in whatever you're doing. And then the third thing is relatedness, and uh, that's just that's just like establishing a connection with your peers and stuff. Like you kind of want to go. If we're going to use a basketball example of each one, autonomy is just having more control over your situation, like feeling like you can play basketball when you want to play basketball, and not that you're being forced to. I don't know, do do some crazy training regimens that you're not that you're not used to, and like to get ready for this this new uh, experience. Competence that would maybe not be as big an issue for NBA players because I think that pretty much all NBA players, I guess if maybe if you're going through a shooting slump or something, but all NBA players are very, very good if they're in the NBA. So 
I'd imagine that they're pretty confident um, in their abilities. And then obviously relatedness, you would just, uh, like the more you relate and have fun with your teammates, the more you're going to be motivated to, to go practice every day. So in terms of what you said, the lack of autonomy can really lead to a lack of motivation. If they don't, if they don't feel like they have that kind of sense of control, that's going to be positively associated with burnout. So as their autonomy increases, their motivation also increases. So if they have less autonomy, they're going to be less motivated. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Sorry about that one. That's okay. It's a lot to, this is a bad psychological pun, but it's a lot to get your head around. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Um, I kind of want to go back to this just because we touched on it to start with the location thing. And this is something I just like thought of, but I'm curious to get your perspective on it about, you know, when you enter into a bubble like this and the fact that like, you know, they're not going to be able to leave their grounds. A lot of guys are looking at potentially like four months in this thing. Could there be something almost like a, like a burnout of location? Because we know athletes like really do thrive in repetition. That is how they a lot of times solidify their skill set. Um, it's just something they're like their schedules are usually built around and they've gone a little bit off of that. But I would wonder just on the fact that like this location is so limited and limiting to them, would that be something that like may come into effect almost like, you know, one and a half months, like two months into this thing? First of all, definitely it could come into effect. And you've got a great, great point because it's like a novel thing. It would actually be a great op- opportunity for like a case study because I-, I agree with you. I think that it would come into effect. But I mean, in academic research, there's not really a situation where it's ethically viable to just say, OK, you guys are going to go into like a bubble for two months and we're going to examine the effects of burnout on that. Like you'd never get approval from an ethics board. Um, that study just doesn't have feasibility. Like who's going to who's going to want to kind of sign up for that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think there's actually like. Like I'm, I'm sure that somebody more educated in the topic could probably prove me wrong, but like location-specific burnout, I feel like there um, is kind of a lack of research, especially about like this specific type of location burnout. Like maybe if somebody's worked in the same office for like three years or 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 thirty years for that matter, they could they have some kind of like office-associated burnout. Um, but this is totally different. Like this is this is isolating people from their friends and family. Well, at least their family. I'm sure there's, there's tons of mutual friends in the league, but, uh, yeah. Um, I would say a a very, something that definitely I would expect to come into play and also maybe something that, uh, we could, we could draw some research from. And I mean, I guess on the flip side of that would just be the lack of travel, which is something, you know, like going into the postseason. they've tried to, they've tried to whittle it down a little bit, but just, you've got the burnout that comes from these guys like hopping on flights and traveling cross country and not really being able to sleep. So, you know, maybe we've just hit on one of the few positives of the bubble. <laughs> There's pros and cons. I mean, at this point, it looks like the cons might uh, exceed the pros, but there's definitely like, I mean, chilling with, with your buddies and your teammates in Disney World for two months, there could I don't know. I don't want to say there could be worse things because I don't have kids. I'm not I'm not a dad. Like, I don't want to put words in people's mouths. I'm just saying the amenities and it, it looks like it would be pretty fun. Now, do you think this is a little bit off topic, but we were speaking earlier about, you know, the fringe players, the ones who are just on their way in or even the ones who are just on their way out. Do you think that now that this is kind of we're accepting this new normal, do you think that the ability to play in a bubble situation is going to come in? to factor when deciding to sign or re-sign a player. Ooh, well, that that's cool. Yeah, I'm sure 
like just off the top of my head, I can think of um, Theo Pinson being signed by the Knicks. Oh, wait, I guess the Knicks aren't even – they're not even going to be in the bubble, though. I don't know. Can you can you think of any current free agents that have been added to um, a bubble team that maybe uh, maybe they wouldn't have a chance to play in the playoffs if, if this wasn't a thing? I mean, I know two-way guys. Like, because a lot of two-way guys – and Kelsey, like you probably have some very good insight on this, but like I was speaking to the Kings Kyle guy who's like a two-way on their D-League team and he's gotten chosen to go in the bubble. But we were chatting about just like, what does that even look like for a two-way guy? Because he's like, my role is like, he's like, I'm not, I don't have any like false ideas. Like I'm probably not going to play. My role is basically to like stay in hyper good shape, but also like stay in very good mental shape because he's going to be kind of a support system for his teammates that's a good good point because he's kind of having to make that sacrifice of going to the bubble without necessarily getting the reward of what's coming with it i mean it's easier to justify spending two months away from your family when you're a key contributor on the team but um just like you said obviously kyle guy i don't i don't know what o'shea's situation is going to be like if like is he joining the raptors in Florida? Yeah, O'Shea's already there, but he had to leave at home, like, his three-week-old his three, his three week old daughter so that he can go and, you know, be part of the O'Shea Brissette. Three-week? Three weeks, yes. Man, that, oh, oh man. man, that's bad. That's, that's bad. That and makes I me mean, think of the, the episode of The Office where, like, Dwight's playing uh, Cats in the Cradle for Jim after they just, uh, Jim and Pam just have their baby and... Like it's it's so true. It's like you like if you like I actually uh my family just adopted a dog like a month ago and uh I'd never I've never had a dog before. So like I've been so like like the first month of having a dog, like that's all I want to do is chill with my dog. I can't imagine how much stronger that desire would be if it was my literal seed, like my child. Like like if it's your if you're a first time dad too, like are you kidding me? Like, that sucks. Like, I don't know if O'Shea has any other kids, but... No, this is his first. And I mean, anyone with kids knows how much they change over the first few months, especially. So she'll be a whole different person when he gets back. And you have to wonder, you know, going through his head. I mean, yes, he's on a two-way contract. I believe it's two years guaranteed, but is it going to be worth it to go and miss these mm-hmm. pivotal moments in her little life? Yeah, that's a very, very real concern. And... um I mean, yeah, like that's that's so tough if you're O'Shea, because like, what do you do? Like, if you're tra- let's say you're looking at it re- retrospectively in ten years, it's like, wow, like I wish I'd just stayed with the Raptors, and I, maybe I could have been a, an actual contributor in the playoff runner. It's like, wow, like I missed like so many milestones for my daughter. Like, I I wasn't even really getting playing time. I wish I just said screw it and and stayed home. So that like that in itself uh, would be a tough thing. I don't know. It, one thing. Um, I wanted to also touch on is there's things that you can do. So things you can do to re- reduce burnout. And uh, part of it is um, just a congruency between the individual and uh, the organization. And um, this, this kind of study, it, it comes from more workplace area studies because a lot of the stuff we do in sports psychology, they were research topics in the workplace in like the eighties or kind of in the past. And then, like, recently, people have noticed, like, oh, wow, like, this could really um, apply to sports as well. But um, speaking on that congruency, like, something an organization like, can do, or there's, there's six kind of – six areas where you're supposed to be on the same page. So the first one is workload. So um, the demands relative to one's personal limits and resources, like, um, you're not exceeding them. 
don't know how much you guys know about uh, stress, but the stre- stress pretty much happens when um, your resources uh, to deal with the demand um, fall under the like the demands of <laughs> of the demand. Like when the demand outweighs your resources, you're going to result in stress. Um, so you want to make sure that the workload, like if we're on the athletes, we're not putting them through crazy training every day. So they're not thinking when they go home at night, they're not thinking, wow, the Raptors are killing me. Like, like what the hell? The second thing is control. So that's just the ability to influence decisions, autonomy, and to access the resources necessary for performance organization, like any NBA team, like if they were kind of following these guidelines, that's something that they they could help with. They could maybe say, "Hey guys, what what do you? How much do you guys think that we should be practicing?" I know we've got sports scientists and stuff, but um, we want to hear from you, the players. Like we want to make sure you guys feel like you have a say. Um, you're not just you're not just being told what to do. The third thing is reward. So this is something I kind of said with um, O'Shea. It's that the um, incentives are consistent with the expectations, and you're just. Um, you're pretty much you you get you're getting what you work for and there's no cloak and mirrors like you you get rewarded for for the work you put in that would be tough in this situation because the reward is pretty much not guaranteed whatsoever he could he could leave the bubble with uh with no minutes uh fourth is community so that's just social interaction in the form of closeness uh, and teamwork and lack of conflict so that'd be really one thing you can do to promote community is just some team focused events like, OK, as a team, we're going to go we're going to go do this. Um, maybe an escape room. An escape room is something I really like to recommend for team building activities because it's interdependent. You can't just do it like individually. If you're going to get out of the escape room, you need to work together. But Jeff, like, isn't the escape room the bubble? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the whole thing. It's that it turns out that there actually nobody's playing any series, and this whole thing is just a scavenger hunt. <laughs> players, <laughs> they have to go around Disney World and find find the really really high risk. Yeah, scavenger hunt. Hey, hey, you win that you win that scavenger hunt. The Larry OB is all yours. <laughs> it's hidden. Yeah, it's hidden somewhere within Disney. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's at the top of the Epcot Dome. <laughs> that's funny and then uh the last two were just uh fairness and values so the individual in the organization every everybody feels fair and then um the values correspond with everybody's values um i saw the raptors did a great job with their kind of video in the wake of the george floyd stuff and i actually just saw it yesterday because i guess the day after it happened it was just so like flooded but um yeah the raptors made a nice like two and a half minute video just um the we can breathe or whatever I'm sure that that's a good step. I, I I noticed the Raptors like more so than other organizations. They really seem to be like in tune with like the players and like what it would mean to be like a fun organization. Like our our social media posts are kind of like initiatives. Like the Raptors, the Raptors know what's up for sure. I mean, I would just like not to be too, totally contrarian, but just kind of like based on those different qualifiers for the reduction of burnout, I'm curious, like how many of those things could actually happen organically or with any kind of sincerity in what to some seems like a, like the bubble itself seems like an initiative that's sort of being pushed forward for profits over the people in the actual organization. I know that's not true across the board. I'm sure there are some players who really want to play. And I would like to touch on that at some point, just based on conversations I've had, but I wonder just like, Kelsey, I'm curious what you think about this too. Just like, what do you think of like, 
if those are the kind of qualifiers, are you really setting yourself up for success to alleviate or even avoid burnout if you can't naturally like honor some of those like pre-qualifiers or particulars? That's what I'm having issue with as well as they're saying, oh, you know, this is it's not a distraction. It's it's helping. I can't remember the words that Adam Silver used, but they were bullshit. And, <laughs> you know, now they're saying, oh, you can put statements on your jerseys. And it's like, mm-hmm. is that an additional stressor on these players that they have to go out and they have to, they have to come up. With they it. have to come up with something and they have to, you know, feel the weight of that on top of feeling the weight of playing in a bubble on top of feeling the weight of playing during a social justice uprising and being away from their families. I just feel like by trying to be so woke, they're doing it at the expense of their players' mental health. Mm-hmm. On what Adam Silver said, I know he put out a statement saying how, how basketball is like a healing thing. Um, I have to agree with you that it's kind of bullshit. And I don't, I like, I think Adam Silver is a great commissioner. Like I think, I think his attentions so far ha- have been great and, there is, I'm sure there's some truth to what he said. Like, like sports are a great healing thing, and I'm sure everybody will love to come around having the NBA back. It'll be, like, the most popular thing. But, like, I mean, there, like, if the dollars didn't exist, NBA wouldn't be coming back. Like, are you kidding me? I, I, saw, I saw a tweet. Like, it was, like, how crazy would it have been if in the middle of contagion Matt Damon decided to go to the bar? <laughs> it's, like, so true. Like, you see his patios reopening. Like, crazy. I mean, I do think one angle, and I know we haven't focused on it like here. And then I think in the conversations I've been a part of, and like, I think like, not to speak for Kelsey, but just like knowing we're kind of aligned on how we're approaching this and what, how we feel about the return was like, I had the opportunity to interview Dr. William Parham, who's like the head psychologist for the MBPA. He heads it up with Keon Dooling. They were brought on about a year and a half ago to kind of start this mental health and awareness kind of arm of the Players Association. But when we were chatting about burnout, one thing that he stressed to me, first he wanted to stress that everything that the players are going to, like he really wanted to emphasize this, that nobody, like when when COVID-19 hit, he said like nobody, including the players, had ever experienced a virus of that magnitude. And certainly like the implications involved if you didn't protect yourself and that they've been learning just as much as everyone else has in real time, what that means, how to take it seriously. They've been kind of sifting through information, misinformation, same as everybody else. And then they've sort of had to respond to it uh, in real time. But with that, plus the like race-based protests, which was something he also said, you know, these are all stressors and are going to affect them. And how for so many players, when you think about their routines and what they've sort of shaped their, not just livelihoods, but lifestyles and their mental health around has been play has been playing basketball since they were little boys in most cases and how them not having that opportunity, there's something to be said for the joy of that gone from their lives, how there is genuine excitement to return to play, even if it's not under the most obviously like ideal of circumstances. But I wonder how you honor that and like also like do your utmost to kind of like keep these guys safe honoring their kind of love for basketball and that intrinsic motivation they have to play and like being accepting and letting them play, but also maintaining a balance of like, like we'll be honest guys, like, like we're going to try our best, but this, like, this isn't fully safe. Is that, is that what you're kind of asking? Kind of. And I mean, just, I guess more like from a larger perspective, looking at that and just being like their mental health, 
they may be feeling burnout and they're like kind of a dip in their mental health just because they've gone without this thing that, yes, it like is their jobs in the sense that it makes them money, but it also for all of them to be as successful at it and, and as passionate about it and what they do, it means a great deal to them. Like it means a great more than just like a paycheck, you know? So I think like that was, I'm just saying like that was a perspective I had not really myself engaged with as much because I have been so averse to the bubble experiment. And it just seems like, you know, such a, a not strong plan to begin with. And then, you know, we just hear things every day about the state of Florida, um, like how many more players have tested positive. So I, just to be able to reconcile those two things as a basketball fan, and then as like someone who reports on it, that's really tough to me. Yeah. Katie, to your point as well, I mean, this game that they've loved since they could walk and this game that's, you know, taken them all over the world and made them money. Are they going to feel a certain guilt playing it in this bubble mm-hmm. when they know that there's so much other stuff going on in the world? Yeah, absolutely. And for some of them, like being involved in the protests and like, you know, b- being taken away from those for some of them, it was, I think in some cases, the first time they'd really experienced using their voices that directly, right? Like, and speaking out to something that is so important and obviously means a great deal to them. And, you know, we've talked about this before too, but how do you, how do you make sure that energy kind of stays up, but also that whatever the NBA wants to put forward in the bubble isn't performative just in terms of like supporting players rights to either protest, because I don't actually know that you can like protest. You can't protest during like a scheduled game. Like, what do you guys think about that? I guess you could like kneel kneel for the anthem. Um, I don't know. I don't know what what that's going to look like because obviously there's like I feel like like since uh, there's been kind of no live North American sports since uh, the George Floyd thing, so nobody's had an opportunity to do anything with the anthem. Maybe mm-hmm. kind of both thing both teams could kneel together. I forget. I forget which one of you mentioned it earlier, but uh, definitely a lot on the players' plates. With I think I think Kelsey was it you saying the two woke thing. Like giving, giving, yeah, giving the players the opportunity to speak out. But it's almost like (laughs) there's probably a ton of guys that are just like, yeah, like, like I totally feel so passionately about social rights and and injustices. But like, like just for now, can I, can I have just my name on my jersey? Like I've been going through a lot. Like I haven't seen my family. Like I'm, I haven't played basketball in two months. We're going through this training camp, like. I might get sick. Like we're, we're training at some university that I've never been to before. Like, and I've, I'm so like mentally drained from, from sharing all this social media stuff, um, about social justices. Just like, like right now, I just want to take a deep breath and play basketball. Um, I mean, I, for people, for people like LeBron, like LeBron will have like such an outspoken, great, great figure. I'm sure for him, it's just a greater opportunity, but I'm sure that there's definitely some guys struggling with, um, with the balance, I'm sure the NBA is struggling too. Cause I, I don't know what the answer is, but you're definitely right. Like there are, um, it's tough to, to make basketball fun when the kind of social justice injustices and the bubble isolation circumstances are two things that are inherently not very fun. So I don't, I don't know if I, if I have the answer, but, um, it's definitely an issue. And I hope that, uh, I hope that everybody has fun, but and also just just as a fan, um, 
I mean, this is this is almost selfish in, the, in, in at this point to say, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing the product of the basketball. Like, I, I think it's good. I think it's gonna be really good. As as many cons as many cons as this bubble has, I, I am pumped to uh, to see everybody hoop again. Now, do you think that the responsibility that's being, you know, it seems like daily responsibilities are being added to the players first, the bubble, and then all of these practices, and now having to put statements on their jerseys do you think that that could contribute to an even earlier burnout yes oh oh definitely that would that would definitely um could contribute to that because it's just like it's like i said like they just need to they want to chill and take a deep breath and every like so much so much things are going on at once that they just want to like they just they just want to chill out yeah um there are three kind of uh three main causes of burnout or maybe symptoms you could say the first is just emotional and physical exhaustion. So just physically and emotionally, you're just done. Like you like you're you've you've been on the ice or on the court like five times already this week. Like you've got to go home and your sports psych person's got you doing some imagery training. And then on top of that, <laughs> you've got you've got to come and put on a brave face and try to say what you're saying about social justices. Like that's a lot. The second thing that happens is like a reduced sense of accomplishment when you're burnt out. So like you view your sporting accomplishments uh, negatively and inaccurately. So you're just like like no matter what like no matter how well you play like if you're really burnt out like you you either think you play bad or then there's the third thing which is the which is sport devaluation and that's just when you have you kind of have an, a detached attitude towards your sport and you actually start resenting your sport and you just don't care you're just like yeah like I don't I I do not care about basketball right now like I need I need a break I need to step back like it's just it's just not a priority. Um, so I don't. I don't think I could really answer your question directly that well. But um, I hope some of, of what I was able to say helps. I mean, I think it did because, again, you look at all those things and like it's just the weight. It's this already this like implied weight of how much the players are going to have to take on, like above and beyond play, right? And then I think like one thing we also aren't talking about is some of the guys have like stayed I mean they've all been working out every player has been working out but like they're still not going to be able to get in the workouts or like the practices they were when the season was underway and now this kind of acceleration to get to a position where their bodies are physically ready and prepared for play for like continual play day after day and I think like something we don't talk about too is the very real potential of of injuries what like not serious injuries but just like Maybe a guy pulls something, you know, because he's just they're not used to this sort of rigorous state of play. So then you've got that on top of all like the mental the mental considerations. There is a lot going on in these guys heads for sure. I think it's going to be bad for injuries. Like I like I'm not uh, my girlfriend's in physiotherapy school. You'd be better off asking her than me. But uh, we should have had you on the next on. We didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> she she is pumped to hear this though. I told her and she and she's like like dishes and dimes has a new subscriber. She said this is the perfect podcast for me. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to have her on once the bubble gets underway. Basically, <laughs> that, that condensed scheduling that's that's gonna be bad news for injuries, and that's another form. Um, give me a source of anxiety. Is players are gonna be like, yeah, like it's obvious my risk of injury is gonna be greater. And they've probably had like a bunch. Of, like I'm sure there are a lot of NBA players that deal with anxiety, just as just as us non-NBA people do. But one of the biggest contributing factors to anxiety is uncertainty. Like like your ang- your anxiety is going to crank up when when you don't know what's going what's going on. Like certainty is a great 
medicine for anxiety. And unfortunately, there hasn't been that certainty for the last few months, especially even now. Like, like Florida's setting records every day. Like, I mean, I and what we're supposed to to start play like like camps open soon. And I don't know, man. Sixteen players are three hundred two tested. That's pretty high percentage. I don't know. So I don't think the certainty is is where it should be or certainly not different than during the regular season when it's like, okay, we've got Dallas on Wednesday and we've got Philly on Saturday. Uh, That seems pretty certain to me. (laughs) So from like a psychological perspective, you're saying the bubble's got like not much going for it, basically. Well, I mean, (laughs) the amenities are surely going to be great. What they'll actually... From a player bonding perspective, um, I'm sure it actually would be a kind of cool thing. Like, there are definitely going to be tighter friendships coming out of the bubble than going into the bubble. I mean, maybe in some cases there'd be, like, damaged friendships from too much time around each other. But I'll put that one on the positive list. I know I'm on the same page as you guys here. I think that the cons list is longer at this point. Um, but, yeah, maybe maybe some new friends because, like, during the season you're kind of just with your team. Now you're with every team. Like you're, maybe there's guys you played with in college, and you've kind of got away from each other in the past few years. But now you're hanging out every night. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have dinner with JJ Redick tonight. Like, this is sick. Like, <laughs> That's something I didn't think about actually. Is the bonding with other teams? Yeah. I was thinking, okay, yes, you're gonna develop these great bonds with your teammates, and then the chances of one or both of you leaving the next season is very high. So is that going to affect your personal relationships going forward when you spend, you know, two to four months with this person and develop this great relationship and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're your opponent now? But I didn't think about that side of, you know, you could say, hey, I really like player X. Maybe I'm going to go... Fred Van Vliet, don't listen to this, but maybe, you know, maybe I like so-and-so. I'm going to go join this other team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah Fred... Fred, don't listen. All right. Hey, hey, uh, could we maybe see um, some Kawhi at some Raptors dinners? I don't know. I thought it was a two-year option. That's that's what I heard. That's what the contract says. So that's what we're going with. <laughs> <laughs> and some, uh, some nice uh, Nigerian tampering as well I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I don't know if we can officially... I mean, no, I was going to be like, we can't officially put the podcast behind that, but we've done that so many times already, so I don't know why I'm being, like, precious about it now. <laughs> no, you're, we definitely... Like, <laughs> like, obviously, it's your podcast, but I, I don't think it would be, like, that good an idea. <laughs> Kelsey, did you have any other questions for our esteemed not-psychologist, soon-to-be <laughs> psychologist? Not an official psychologist, no. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I don't, it's just everything that we bring up raises so many more questions. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a great conversation. I've definitely, uh, enjoyed my, uh, my dishes and dimes debut. It's <laughs> a lot of, tea. I, I mean, like if anything, I think it just shows how complicated I don't like envy. I don't envy really anyone. I don't envy the players. I don't envy the league for trying to like make sense of this. I don't really envy the NBPA for trying to support their players as best as they feel that they can or are doing because whenever you bring up a potential pro or con, you inevitably see like three or four things to the flip side of it, right? And I, that just shows how, I mean, I, I guess to me that just shows a greater underlying con in that like how uncontrollable the situation sort of sort of is. Like it's it's not a bubble in the sense that like everything is extremely clear cut and you've got a lot of controllable elements. If anything, you know, the players are kind of like the least of your worries in that situation 
for the most part, because they want everything to go as well as it actually can. They want it to be the safest. They just want to play. They don't want anything to really interrupt this. It's going to be all these other outside forces, whether it's people who are forced to like work in these parks with very little protection because of like the demands on basically catering to this many people in such a small place. It's also Disney, if they decide to actually open the park to the public, it's just like the swamp state of Florida in general. Like there's so much that you you can't control in it. So as like a, as a bubble, it was always imperfect to begin with. Well, yeah, I, w- I would say it's a paradox in itself because what are, what are the NBA's two top priorities with this? Number one, they wanted to get off without a hitch and get basketball finished and award a champion. And then number two is they want to keep everybody safe. And those are like the two the two kind of driving forces. But those driving forces are almost in direct contradiction to each other. Because if you wanted to keep everybody safe, you wouldn't there wouldn't be basketball right now. And it's not like they don't want to keep everybody safe. It's just the desire to play and get the season done, get get the dollars for getting the season done, but also just for the joy of basketball too. Like it wasn't a hundred percent bullshit with with what Adam Silver said. Like basketball is is going to be great to come back, but uh, yeah, just naturally those two things just inherently go against themselves. Like if if safety is your top priority, then don't award a champion. If awarding a champion is your top priority, then I mean, like then your safety your safety front is going to be bullshit like you know like i actually have one final question and is there any kind of direct or indirect relation between you know being cooped up for this long and being all this rigorous training happening so fast and all of this anxiety and all of this weight on your on your shoulders is there any direct correlation with you know aggression like are we going to see more aggressive games or more people getting tossed out for, you know, talking back to referees or to other players. I mean, I can't, they can't be in the clearest headspace at the moment, right? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, aggression is not a topic I, I kind of focused on with my master's. And uh, there would be other people like better, much better suited to answer that question than me. But like, I don't, I definitely think like you'd be right. Like it's just, it's just added stress. And when you're, when you're more stressed, your, your temper is going to be shorter. You've got less time for things. Like there's, there could be a lot of guys in the bubble that, you know, they're, they're having a bad day. Like they, like, you know, the first three weeks were great. The first three weeks they're enjoying Disney world. They're enjoying the teammates that they, that they maybe got traded a couple years ago. And then I don't know. They they come to a point three weeks in where they're like, actually, this sucks. I want to go home. I want to leave this isolated space. I want to see my family. And they're playing a game that night. And I don't know. Serge Ibaka is getting in the guy's face a little bit. He reacts a little bit more than he should because he's having this bad day. And now he's getting choked out by Serge Ibaka. And there's three game suspensions all around. So, yeah. That's it's definitely a possibility. I think, yeah, we may see Serge kill someone, but I think that there's a better chance of seeing Brooke and Robin Lopez kill each other. I don't know. They love Disney World. Like, they may just behave in a completely different way when they're there. We'll see they how do. many mascots are there. That's That'll be the turn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> if there's no mascots, maybe they'll be in a great mood. That's true. I did have one more last question as well, and it's kind of like, after everything we've talked about, do you think there's any point and or possibility of guarding against burnout in 
the bubble? Or do you think some form of burnout is just going to be inevitable? I think both things are right. Burnout's definitely going to be inevitable. And I think it's going to be increased um, because of all the stressors that we've just spent uh, the podcast talking about. But I would go back to those um, those six kind of congruencies um, between individuals and organizations. And um, like you said, being in the bubble does kind of counteract these things. But I do think at the organizational level, like they could sit down with each other, management and say, okay, like, let's make sure we work together on these six things being workload, control, community, values, fairness, and reward, and just make sure that all of those things are accounted for. Because the data will show you and like studies would suggest that if you can do that, there will be less burnout and everybody will be happier and on the same page. But Mm -hmm. some burnout will be inevitable. And I think to try to completely avoid it wouldn't work. But uh, I'm with you guys. I just I just hope that um, the NBA is making a mistake and that uh, everything goes okay. Amen to that. <laughs> and with that, I think that wraps up our episode, guys. Wow, so honored. <laughs> <laughs> no cap, like actually, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Thank you for coming on. So with that, I mean, there's still so many questions. There's still so many uncertainties. But hopefully, listening to this, listening to Jeff's expert opinions. You, our listeners, have kind of got an understanding of the potential for burnout, the potential for psychological unrest that the players and the staff and the Disney staff can all um, possibly be experiencing. And with that, we say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And we will hear from you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.